Killing Rick Grimes off on The Walking Dead was a crime against humanity. It ruined the show for me, and I could not watch it anymore. Joseph Hallett killed Frank, the lead character in this book. And unlike the writers on The Walking Dead, he pulled it off. Because when Frank died, not only was I able to accept it, Joseph Hallett made it make sense. And if you would like to know why it made sense, keep listening to find out how Frank met his end. Barney shows up at Frank's door. He shows up at Frank's door right when Frank and crew find the most interesting discovery as of yet. And that is, after almost 1,700 meters down this never-ending hole, they discover a blob-like figure with, let's just say, tentacles stretching off of its body with circular nodules at the end of those tentacles. The entire crew was rocked to its core because it has definitely discovered something otherworldly. And although they did not know what to do with that information, forward was the only direction that they could go because everything that they were discovering was too much. To, they had gone too deep, literally. And there was no way that any of them could walk away as if, oh, done here. They could not do that. They had to continue to go forward. Barney stepped in the way of that in the most high-handed, annoying way possible. He strolled up to Frank's door. He knocked on the door. After Frank and crew came outside, he immediately neutralized Frank by taking uh, Willie and Johnny and crew and escorting them off to some unknown location. This immediately set Frank on uneven ground because although Frank isn't exactly surrounded by fighters, those guys came out on the porch very much so to be uh, the protectorate of Frank because as I've said earlier, Frank is somebody that I want to protect. I just want to keep him safe. I just want to, you know, go and lay in the bed and get under the cover and stay there. I'm going to bring all your food to you because I just want you to not have to do nothing. Barney got in his face. So incapable was he of holding back his ire that the nice guy that he strolled up to the porch with died as soon as he got there. And his nastiness started to come out. He's basically spitting his threats at Barney about, you know, how he actually thinks about him and how this site is something that belongs to him now. How this property is now the property of, you know, um, the armed forces and he's not allowed to go and explore in this hole ever again. And if he finds him attempting to do that, then he would meet an unwanted result. 
as much as Frank was disgusted by the infamy of what was happening all around him, he did not want to give up his explorations. Even before Barney got there, Frank started to have just a, a low grade level of disgust that was on its way to boiling over because um, Willie at different points would joke about how, wow, this is becoming such a thing. People are going to start, you know, selling t-shirts and all that kind of stuff. And it's going to get basically commercialized and turn into the world that Frank wants no parts of. It was very much so about to turn into that for Frank. And the last thing that he wanted to do was for his project to become someone else's to bastardize. But now all that's gone. Even the threat of having his discovery usurped by the media, etc. Even that he didn't have to look forward to anymore. And it cut Frank to his core. All of these things culminated together and made him pretty damn angry. Frank is the kind of guy who would never touch you. He would never get physical with you. But he did get physical with Barney. He hemmed him up a little bit. He grabbed him by the collar and roughed him up a little bit. And Barney allowed him to get away with it. Only because Barney knew that there was something massive in this thing for him and just like when Barney gave the briefing to the researchers at the base he went on ahead and he took this too because he knew at the end of the day that he was going to be the one who was going to win and this right here was not even worth exerting any kind of concern for Frank was worried about his friends and their well-being, but not so worried that it incapacitated him. No sooner than he uh, rationalized that nothing bad was going to happen to them, did he fixate himself on a new plan. This new plan was to pack himself up and to go to that hole via the back route. That black, that back route it was the cave, the cave that he had almost smothered himself in a couple days ago was going to end up being his saving grace. Nobody knew about this cave, although they could see the injury on his hand because it was difficult to hide. He had never told Willie, Johnny, and their wives about that. That was his dirty little secret, and as long as he had any control of it, it would continue to be his dirty little secret. Neither did Barney and the military crew know anything about the blob inside of the hole? He kept all that close to the cuff. As wild as the day that Barney showed up and confronted Frankie was when Frank realized that there's another way to skin this cat, it reinvigorated his excitement. Except this time, it was the truest form of Frank being the explorer because he didn't have to worry about the threat of it becoming commercialized and turning into a product. And he didn't have to share this with anyone. I think that if Frank could go back and do it all over again, 
he would never have told Johnny and, and Willie and their wives or anyone else about this. And not because he doesn't trust his friends, but he just didn't want to. I don't think he realized when he first began all of this how much he would covet this hole. I think he's just in love with the hole. And I don't really think that Frank wants to do anything about what's in the hole. I just think he wants to be there to witness it if that makes any sense. So in going in going back through the cave, Frank had to internalize the fact that he was going to go through a severe bout of claustrophobia. It was unavoidable in order to get to a certain place in the cave and he very much so had to do that. He got to the point where he had to crawl, you know, in such a an awkward position that his back muscles were aching in places that you know, he'd never experienced before because he had to angle himself in such a way. But after a while, he came to a place in the cave where it expanded and he, and he could stand. He also was able to sniff out a water source. Now, those of us reading, and for those of you who read this, when you hear him say, ooh, it smells fresh. Mm, it looks fresh. Mm, it tastes fresh. You're thinking, no, Frank don't drink the water. I, I mean, I know that's probably easier said than done. Being extremely thirsty, you forgot to bring your water, you know, and, and this is a testament to Frank's excitement. He's so excited about the exploration that you go on a, let's just say a hike as it were, or exploration, expedition, and you don't bring water. How you forget the water now? So he finds water, he drinks it, and you know, it helps invigorate him and give him some energy. But I'm like, Frank, you know, you, you're not too high on the uh common sense spectrometer or something. Because this is the same place where you saw that blob. This is the same, you know, this is the back door to where the blob lives. Do you actually think the water down there is okay to drink? But we're going to move on because we know that in Frank's mind, if it's all good to him, he just kind of goes in head first. It doesn't matter. It isn't long before he notices that he has to traverse through a part of the cave where it's so dark that his flashlight doesn't light anything up adequately. It's a very dull glow, but he keeps it on because it's a safety blanket for him. He just feels better, even though he can barely see any damn thing. Um, he gets to the point where he feels like, man, I think I can kind of make my way through in the dark anyway. You know how you're in the house and you memorize your house so well that it seems like you can see in the dark because you just can kind of go from, you know, the living room to the office with no lights on. It's sort of like that. Frank's walking through and there are areas that's, let's just say, are less dark than others. And this is kind of the way he's finding his way through this certain patch in the cave. And as he continues to travel in there, he finds a, a rock, a golf ball sized rock. This rock um, he finds by sifting through, you know, it's very muddy down there. He sifts through the muck, muck and he finds this golf ball sized rock. And if you guessed this was another piece of that Thor's rock that Barney has, you would be right. Upon further inspection, he notices this that this rock, it has a, it has a 
a glittering quality to it that makes it look like it's moving even though it's not moving and just like Thor's hammer it's heavier than hell so imagine a golf ball that weighs 30 pounds he realizes that for whatever the hell this is it's something that belongs to me this is something that I have to have so he puts it into his satchel and it makes his satchel un bearably heavy for him to carry around when frank gets this rock that's when all the fun starts because frank is in this cave it's dark it's murky there is water in there but at times he can find water to drink and then there are times where he moves away from the water and he hopes he can find it again so he can drink again but this satchel, it adds a burden, a literal burden to him because at points he has to remember there are parts in the cave that are extremely tight. So he has to contort his body. Sometimes he has to go up an incline. One of these times he leaves his satchel behind. So when he finds this water source that he's looking for again, he goes ahead and he takes a drink and he's glad to find it. But he realizes that, damn, I got to go back and get this bag. So he goes back and he tries to find the bag. He does find the bag. But when he does find the bag, he also finds another spider. Except this time, the spider is the size of two hands. This one, he's able to, you know, jump up and kind of, I don't know if you can scare this spider off. But he's able to, let's just say, evade this particular spider. Frank is down here in this cave for so long that... He takes naps down here. This is how long he is in here. It isn't too much longer before he runs into another spider, except this time the spider is the size of a football. And this spider decides that it is going to take a bite out of his leg. And it does. He smacks at the creature with his flashlight, which I guess is a good, good idea that Frank didn't just kind of discard it since it really doesn't work because it sent the spider flying off of his leg at this point frank is lost because he's in a cave and there are different channels and different avenues to get out of there except he can't seem to find the right one because he wants it too desperately and finding his way back to civilization is not something he can do because when he went in there he intended to you know make a map and x marks the spot and all these different things but did he bring water so what makes you think he brought a damn pen after a while, Frank's mind begins to get terrified because he is now having to confront his second spider. And it's pretty freaking obvious that, you know what, it's not going to be long before I run into another spider and these legs clickety-clack. Whatever goes through your mind when I say a spider the size of a football is clacking around on the walls of a cave, that's what's after you. And it's getting faster and it's getting closer. And Frank doesn't give a damn. He runs. And he runs so fast and so um, haphazardly that he smacks his head on lowered levels. Because everything in the cave isn't as tall and open as he is. And it doesn't slow him down. Frank is pure. Get the hell out of here. He is complete adrenaline at this point his leg is bleed dripping blood 
He is hurting in places he's never hurt. He is desperate. And please don't forget that he's holding on to this bag that has a three-pound golf ball in it. At one point, he lost the satchel, the one with the Thor's rock in it. He lost it. His arm caught on something and almost pulled his shoulder out of the socket. And when he looked back to see what that was, it was an axe-handled leg-sized. Did I say that wrong? Anyway, the spider had legs the size of an axe handle. Yeah. That's what had snapped the satchel out of his hand. And he didn't give a damn. He left that there and he kept booking it out of the cave. The author says that Frank burst through that cave like an angry bear. He was fighting for his life. When he left out of that cave, he booked it home and he did not slow down until he was back behind his door with the door locked. And even then, there was a level of anxiety that would not easily leave. After a few frightful minutes and the adrenaline had an opportunity to plummet, his body and his mind and everything started to link up. And he felt like he had been hit by a Mack truck. Everything started to pour. The reality of the situation started to pour back into his body. And it was wrecked with pain from injury, from hunger, from thirst. From an adrenaline-addled brain that's no longer getting its supply. That needs desperately to come back to equilibrium, but can't. He barely had the strength to amble over to his favorite rocking chair just to be able to sit down. His body was shaking now and he wondered if he would ever go back and the obvious answer to that was absolutely not. I'm not going back to that. He even tinkered with the idea of throwing a couple sticks of dynamite at the mouth of the cavern to ensure that not only him, but that nobody else, just to kill the cave, the cave needs to die. What makes this book sci-fi and what makes this so very interesting is this part. Frank curses the spiders. Damn spiders. Can't believe I got attacked by that. He covers his face because even the thought of those spiders have him experiencing a fresh wave of PTSD. He slides his hands down his face. And as soon as his fingers leave his lower lash line, he notices. There's kind of like a darkened blur in front of him. That blur turns into a bit of a shadow. Frank's shaking his head and he's like, wait a minute, hold on. I'm going, but wait, wait, wait. No. No, I'm not. I'm not there. I'm home. I'm home now. This black shadow begins to swirl until it makes a distinct shape. That shape, that 
black mist that is forming in front of it. It swirls until its density increases. Until its mass increases to the size of a large dog. Except Frank slowly realizes that, oh my God, this is not a dog. This is not an illusion. This is turning into something real. Frank's imagination has turned into a reality. There's a popping sensation in Frank's mind, in his ears, that he's been hearing ever since he's been in the cave, but he's been ignoring. But now he cannot ignore it because right in front of him is something that he is manifesting in a mental way. His, his mental acuity is making this happen in front of him. And what happens in front of him is that a spider, as big as a damn dog, is now in his home with him. And it proceeds to wrap its legs around Frank and the chair. Wear its head back and pierce Frank's skull with six-inch serrated fangs. Barney. Barney is the possessor of power. He is a guy who has the power to throw his gold doubloons in the air, think them away, and then think them back into imagination where they fall back into his hand as a real living thing. He goes through several days where he is just absolutely carnal in his fulfilling of his desires. He has eight course meals for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. He wishes himself in the finest linen, silk pajamas. He even conjured up a yurt, a yurt that he contended would make those who were of the imperial classes jealous. This yurt was replete with a circular bed with pillows and silk that enabled him to sleep like a newborn babe. And don't worry about any of the trash or, well, what did he do when he didn't like anything anymore because he just willed it out of existence. So then I guess he's eco-friendly. Because he's able to get rid of everything that he doesn't want. He doesn't have to clean anything up. When he finishes his eight-course breakfast, he just wills those dirty dishes away. And when it's time to have lunch, he wills everything back. Frank has come to a place where he knows that he has the power to do whatever he wants to do. And because of that, he is doing something that he has never done in 20 years Barney, if I call him Frank, forgive me. Barney, he is a he's a career, a career military guy. That was all that he could aspire to. Because he has a very, let's just say, evil streak in him. 
the only thing he ever wanted to do was to be a military guy because it's probably the only thing that he could do. He has absolutely no people skills. He doesn't have the capacity to be able to form a relationship with a person that would make them like him. So in the military, what do you do in the military? Or people, let's just say people who go to authoritative jobs after they've had a life of inactivity socially. They go to a job where you force people to have a fucking relationship with you. You you force uh, respect. You you force admiration. You force all those things. But you can't force nobody to love you in real life, baby. Y'all don't give a damn. When you, when you take your damn military hat off or what have you, and you go home to that lonely ass yurt, you can't force nobody to love you around there. But Barney has decided that, you know what? I think I am being too 1D about this whole thing. Okay, I can have, you know, pancakes and shit every day if I want to. But this has got to be something deeper. I've got to be able to will, you know, real power. Have people doing what I want them to do. So Barney decides, okay, I need to, you know, test the limits of this. I need to see how far I can go. And I need to quit being a basic bitch about this shit. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to conjure up me a damn mansion because he's always idolized this certain type of mansion with this white stone, this blindingly white stone with a, um, a fountain. But before I get to the fountain, I just want to say Barney's AWOL. Alaska is calling like Barney. I mean, when the, I mean, you know, was you, you know, going to come back to work or, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you are breaking the law or something by not being at your damn job. Barney is like, I don't answer the phone for y'all no more. I mean, I'm powerful. I don't answer to y'all no more. Okay. Now, I don't know why he didn't wheel his damn phone away or wheel his number to change or some shit like that. But Barney, you know, Barney is Barney. Barney conjures up this mansion and he decides that on this portion of the road in Washington where it's very untraveled and nobody's over here. This is my plot. This is just mine. This is mine. Okay, this is mine. Even though I'm powerful and stuff like that. This is mine. This land. I'm going to make, I'm going to put my house right here. I've always liked those fountains with, you know, the extravagant, you know, um, pouring of water except this pouring of water has a cherub pissing into the pool as its fountain and I think that that symbol is my favorite symbol of Barney because I absolutely cannot wait until somebody does that to Barney preferably while he's on fire and preferably in his mouth now the reason why I gave kudos to the author and the reason why I spoiled Frank's death is that I got closure there was closure for me Frank had nothing else in his life but that excitement over the whole and I think there's a lot to think about there. That when your life reduces down, depending on how you look at that, when your life reduces down to a singular purpose, literally one purpose, 
And that purpose does not depend on your ass at all. You might be nearing your end. Because that purpose, especially if you become obsessed with it, you will indubitably put yourself into a position that you might harm yourself in the most ultimate way. And as horrifying as it was to see Frank meet that end, I do think it was very appropriate for him. And I'm okay with letting Frank go as the main character of this story. Well, because the author is who he is, and I think that this story is absolutely worth reading if you haven't read it yet, I cannot spoil a story for you. Um, I think that he handled it expertly. Why? Because as much money as The Walking Dead has pulled in, they should have been able to hire somebody like this Arthur to come in and help them. Well, how would they have been able to help him, Bookie? They would have been able to help him. He would have been able to help them because he would have been able to put another person in Rick's place that was even better. And you do not want to miss the next episode because that is exactly what Joseph Hallett did. He put somebody in Frank's place that was even better. And if you join me next time, you're going to find out exactly who it is.